That was a very architectural conversation we had tonight. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with us? <laughs> Got to talk more about bumwad. <laughs> Neil can Neil can go for hours with bumwad. Oh, shut up! <laughs> Do a whole episode on bumwad. All right. See all of this stuff. This is how Evan creates the intro to the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just, so th- this is guess, where I guess to... what I just wrote down. We should stop talking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, if you don't want to be a victim of the intro, yeah. I'll have to edit my audio before I send it. I'm still recording. Don't worry. Don't worry. He's he's got it too. Welcome to the Archispeak Podcast, the podcast for architects by architects, where we discuss all things about architecture. I'm Neil Pan. Each episode, Evan Troxel, Cormac Phelan, and me invite you in on the conversation as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the block more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we gather around the water cooler and talk about this profession we call architecture. It's time for some Arcaspeak. So welcome to episode 27 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxel. I'm Corin Phelan. And we have a guest. Our first guest ever. This is awesome. It is Mark R. LePage from EntreeArchitect.com. And uh, welcome, Mark. Thanks for coming. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me here. I'm super excited to be your first guest on Speak. And we're excited to have you. This is really cool. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've been talking backstage, I guess, uh, for the last year about when we were going to start doing this. And we felt like the first episode of our second season here, episode 27, would be a great time to start, um, including some guests along throughout the shows. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's awesome. I can't wait to, uh, to talk about a bunch of nothing. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's, what, that's our goal every week. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Well, first off, we have uh, a couple of friends of the show to announce. That's right. So this week, we've got two new friends of the show. And uh, the first one is Heimat Kalsa, who listened to, I'm going to say, every episode of the podcast as he did a drive from Arizona to Texas. And we all know that that road is a long, narrow, boring road. And uh, it was it was pretty cool that he took the time to Wait. listen to us the whole way. Yeah, yeah, Cormac. Were you talking about the road was long and narrow or listening yes. to our show? <laughs> Yes, I was. And uh, so, Hymet, he gave us 10 bucks, And thank you, Hymet. You are now officially a friend of the show. And then our second friend of the show this week is Alastair Story, all the way from New Zealand, the other side of the world. And uh, thanks, Alastair, for donating 10 bucks to the show. And uh, he was also one of our supporters for buying a T-shirt. And so he, he uh, threw in another 10 bucks because it costs a lot to ship a T-shirt to the other side of the planet. So uh, thanks, Alistair. We really appreciate it. And thanks for being a listener and a friend of the show. 
Um, something I wanted to bring up just briefly is I, I, I uh, was doing some sketching on a project this weekend uh, or this past weekend, and um, I, I tweeted out a pro tip, quote unquote, pro tip architecture about pro tip. Uh, <laughs> architecture pro tip. Yeah, exactly. You know, where you if you're tearing off a piece of flimsy and you can turn it over to sketch on, it can, kind of keeps the edges from rolling up on you. And and one of our listeners and friend of the show, I think, who, uh, you know, commented on the com uh, on the word flimsy. I was like, what is that flimsy? And I, you know, so anyway, I, I wanted to just ask you guys what first off, if you have a color preference and then what do you call flimsy or trace i actually i got i have a list here so i'm going to see if, i'm going to read off we the list take and a then poll. you guys well, tell we me take a poll we could take yeah, a poll no, actually all right Bef what before you get into reading it off okay let's, let's find out what everybody you know in the circle calls it see if it's on the list because i've honestly have never heard the word flimsy I mean, okay yeah, must must be a west coast thing <laughs> i had heard it but yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds pretty lame <laughs> Thanks, Evan. Thanks for your uh, yep, support. Yep. So no votes for me for for flimsy. But let's let's also do this online with, with Twitter. So everybody who's listening, go ahead and tweet us at Arcaspeak at A R C H I S P K. Noah, it, it's spelled different. So listen listen carefully. Yes, and that that's a Twitter restriction. We couldn't get the whole thing. That's in right. There. And uh, <laughs> so tell us what you call it. All right, it'd be fun to kind of take a poll here and see what see what the the winner is. So, so Evan, step up. What what do you call it? Trace. Trace. Simple. Yeah. Favorite color? Yeah. Is uh, you know, I I use all the colors. I really don't care. If I had to pick, I'd probably go with the canary yellow. Ooh, the bright stuff. Yeah, the bright stuff. Okay. So, what about you, Cormac? Um, trace or trash? I've I've kind of interchangeable, um, only because. I had a boss who was like, go give me a roll of trash. Like, uh, okay. That's, what, it, that's what my desk just, looks like when I use it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've got, I'm actually looking at um, my stack that's next to my desk. And I've got 13 rolls and they're about um, almost even. One I've for got, each pencil. I've got, exactly. Jeez. I've got more yellow than white. But if I'm drawing something that i'm going to scan to ultimately take into photoshop it's always on white if i'm just you know kind of going with the flow and sketching it's always on yellow hmm. which yellow the bright yellow or the more cream colored yellow <laughs> the cream color i call it butter paper okay all right so so you have so, three names well, i guess but i i call butter paper more the color than the you know the name but yeah so but that's a good name i like that Butter paper. Butter paper. So, so what about you, Mark? You guys still use that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Shut up. Can we cut you off now? <laughs> I thought you guys were all digital and stuff. No, no, that's no, that's no, no. That's you. Oh, uh, white, white, uh, and it's trace, like the cool kids. <laughs> See, there you go. Okay. But I don't right. really right. use it very yeah. much. Anne Marie uses it a lot. And so okay, she's my, so you, she's my architect. So you need to yeah, you need to vote for her now. Yes, I vote for her. So what she, do you vote? She, what's, uh, what's her? I uh I think Anne Marie likes I think she prefers the cream color, but we use white when we order it. I order it, so I order white. 
and uh, and we call it trace in these parts. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So so the list just based upon the Twitter comments I was getting back, we had bumwad, which is a personal hate for me. Boom. I don't like that word. Yeah, we don't <laughs> like that. I I hear that, but I only hear that from specific people that I. Yeah, I don't like it either. I, I, hear, I hear it a lot in our office, and it's usually the old-timers. Yeah, I was going to say, that's an old-school hey, term. Yeah. I, okay, yeah, because the where I first heard that was Not that my, there's anything wrong with that. Right? No, not at all. No, no, you're not, not talking respect. about me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, was my first boss, and he used that term. Um, and so, but that was, you know, centuries ago. But, um, but then I, I heard also from people... Um, Trace, uh, butter paper was uh, somebody referred to it that way. Trash, I, I don't get that one. Um, but Cormac said that one, yeah. I know, yeah. which yeah. surprises me. Uh, flimsy, that that's one I have used before. Um, and then sketch is an, another one. You know, just yeah, sketch I've paper. Heard it. I've heard right? that term too. So I think another interesting thing would be to add to the list here. What else is it, what else is it called? That would be something to, to people can twi- tweet us about. Absolutely. That'd be yeah. cool. And I've gone back and forth. I, I started, I don't know if it was like one of the first offices, I, the first guy I worked with. I mean, he had that real bright canary yellow one, and I used that for a long time. But uh, I've gone back and forth. I've used the cream-colored yellow. I've used the white. Um, and for guys, scanning, what? Well, I was well, going to say, for scanning, it, it, it really doesn't, doesn't matter, matter yeah. because I can... I can always remove that any background in the scan or afterwards in Photoshop, yeah, and it's no work. It's usually it, it is when I when I use the cream colored one. When I scan, I don't scan in color. I'll scan in grayscale, and the cream color background just disappears. Right, and I, I only mean, get the line. So it's like I don't even have to actually do any steps to physically remove it. It's just gone. Sometimes there's a little hint, but uh, right, and that's I've know. got a tutorial on my website about that. Oh, ooh, ooh. we'll put a link <laughs> in the and show notes. Your URL, that. your website is getmethod.com. You know, every time you say that on the podcast, and I'm not on the air with you, I say, "Tell them the URL." <laughs> <laughs> it's in there. Yep, uh, it's under my Photoshop tutorials, and uh, basically how to. Uh, clean up dirty scans in photoshop so yeah i'll give you a link in the show notes another reason to subscribe to show notes if you uh go to our website you can how do you do that you can go to arcaspeakpodcast.com and on the right side of almost every page you can just sign up to get the show notes delivered to your email box the day of the show and uh i'll have a link in there for that and if you're in new zealand our one listener there it'll show up on monday yeah (laughs) for you (laughs) And not on Sunday. It actually might even be Tuesday. I don't know what day it is over there. It's they're like it living in the future or the the past. I can't. I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe maybe Alistar can tell us. Yeah. When when the show, when we post the show when it shows up for him. Yeah, that would be uh, good to know. Actually, that would be good to know. I we, travel. We I went to Australia that. once, and I did feel like I traveled through time because it took me twenty four hours to get door to door. But it was like, it was like the day behind. I can't remember. It was. It was, it was a crazy trip. So it was very cool. Anyway, so it sounds like everybody here votes for Trace. Neil, I'm good with that. I I 
I, I'm totally interchangeable. I don't know where flimsy came from. It's just a term I've used before. So, what'd you guys used to uh, call um, your animal hide when you were drawn on that? The what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I thought we were keeping this cave one clean. Walls, cave walls. <laughs> okay, sorry. Cave walls. So I don't no, know, Cormac. You you tell me what you'd used on the cave walls, and I'll tell you what we used on the animal hide. Okay. <laughs> How's that? Okay, so this is something funny. I, I I notice every time that we have a new intern in the office, when when one of the elders says, and I think they do it on purpose. You know, it's like go grab some bumwad and uh, meet me over here at the table. <laughs> what? They look at you twice. You just see the look in their eyes, like, oh, okay, uh, and they kind of walk away in a daze. Yeah, that's that sounds like stupid intern tricks or it's, something. Yeah, you know? it totally is one of those uh, one of those hazing kind of a things. You know? Oh, we used to do that in the army too. It's like uh, you need to go over and get that uh, TRWE device. <laughs> <laughs> and and can I put a link to the show notes on what that is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Go ahead and find okay. it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Go look for the TRWE <laughs> device. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, search for that. Would that be a pencil? Okay. What no. is it? No. It's nothing? Toilet paper? Spell it out. Something T- that comes from a tree. What What else could T- it be? Just that's it. It's just tree. <laughs> just bring me a tree. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was trying to, to well, well, take it to, to the next like, level. We used to say things like, you know, go, uh, go and get a box of grid squares, you know, those kind of things. Just... Things that you can mess with the private about, you know? Nice. Nice. Interior private, same thing. Good times. Good, good. All right, so so tonight um, we're going to talk about habitat. Oh, God. I screwed it up in the earlier, too. <laughs> habitat for humanity. Yes. <laughs> you just got a bunch of people really excited. Yeah. I did. That's yeah, not no, what we're sorry. talking about. Yeah, not- <laughs> not- <laughs> sorry. That's that's another episode. Tune in tomorrow. Uh, no habits for success. So so Evan, you you had some ideas, and and I know Mark, you did too. So take it away, Evan. Well, I one of the things that I the reason I was thinking about this topic is because obviously we have Entree Architect on with us, and uh, one of the things I think Mark talks a lot about is building a successful business. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about in architecture as a general topic, you know, whether you're in school, whether you're, you're just thinking about architecture, um, or whether you're trying to get a job or whether you're actually in the profession, or maybe you've been in the profession for a long time. What are some of the habits that you have seen that make a difference to being successful in this field of architecture? And so, you know, the, the first one that I can think of, because this is kind of drilled into us when we're in studio, um, it's something I would have never thought of before architecture school. What it, but it was basically a war on sleep. Architecture, for the most part, is uh, you know, people love to brag about how they, they haven't got enough sleep, how they worked, did all these all-nighters. When we're in school, it's like no time for sleep, got too many projects, the deadlines are crazy. And, uh, and it doesn't matter what age you are, um, for the most part, it's something that it's a topic that always comes up. So I wanted to, I think that that is, as far as a habit for success, architecture has a very skewed look at that. Um, and then I also think that, you know, it's something that we should talk about as far as 
do you guys think it's important? Well, don't talk to me about it because I was just in the office for two straight nights, uh, at least till midnight, both nights. Because? Because I was trying to get The world was going to end. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Those those RFIs don't answer themselves. <laughs> I wish they did sometimes, but they don't. So I mean, why why is it that that this business is you know, and I and I would probably draw a parallel here to students who are doing um, medical stuff too. You know, where they're working twenty four thirty six hour shifts, and then they get a, a couple days off or nursing. You know, what what is it with these professions? that shun the, the idea or, or, you know, do you want a healthcare professional taking care of you when they haven't had sleep in 24 hours? Are they making clear decisions? Are we making clear decisions for our clients to meet these crazy deadlines? And then in school, same thing. Yeah, I, I think in school it's, a, it, it's sort of part of the culture. Um, I think it, it was a lot worse probably when we were in school. I know that currently um, the AIAS actually has a a um, sort of a, a program that they developed that's a studio culture uh, document. And they talk about sleep in that and how it's important and how it's dangerous not to. And um, I think sleep is very, very important, especially in architecture school. And I think if you think back to your especially in my in my program the kids who slept were the ones that actually did really well because they stayed organized and they needed to do what they needed to do so they went home on time and got things done yeah um i know for a fact that it's dangerous i actually lost a friend of mine in architecture school because of an all-nighter yeah Uh, i almost lost two friends but they luckily made it through yeah but it was he had a head-on collision and and died Wow. And so it, it's pretty serious to, uh, you know, for the students listening to us tonight, I mean, it, just a really quick sort of serious note, sleeping in studio is, is a pretty important thing because uh, you could end up dead. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a near, near fatal crash of my own from an all-nighter where I was driving to work the next day from working uh, in studio for about two and a half days. And the next thing I remembered, I was waking up and I was basically driving straight towards a tree. And thankfully I woke up quick enough to just avoid it, clipped it, but I was able, I was lucky enough to walk away. Yeah. That's, so. the, that's the same story as my friend, except wow. he didn't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy to me. And I, I feel like when I was in school, I didn't have any all-nighters. Um, I've actually had more now that I've been working as a professional. Um, but I don't drive home when I'm tired. I'll just sleep at my right. desk. And if right. somebody wants to complain about that, go ahead. I don't. I couldn't care less. Um, I actually had a friend who fell asleep at his desk one day after he'd worked 28 hours straight. And somebody complained to HR about it. And it was like, you don't... The person who complained was not an architect. But... But it was like, what's what's the option? First of all, they didn't look in to see, see why that was happening. But if they would have, they probably still wouldn't have understood that sometimes we do put in these crazy long hours. But it's better to sleep at your desk than, right. than to try to get home and do it. So, 
right. I, I think that uh, I, I think that this is you know as far as building habits, I, this is something that you actually have to make a habit, um, but, especially in today's world with digital devices and screens in our faces until. 11 12 o'clock at night you mean your your brain does not know when to shut off yeah yeah well you know i did one all-nighter in college and it was more because a group of us uh well the team i was working with it was like oh you know we we can do it you know let's see what it's like or they had already they had probably done many of them and for me, it was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll see what this is like. I'll, I'll pull an all-nighter. It was during the week. It wasn't during a weekend. So I had school, you know, classes the next morning. And it was kind of weird, you know, being there and the sun's coming up and, and you know, you're still on campus. And it's like, well, this is kind of strange. But what I found was I was pretty much wiped out the entire next day. Yeah, yeah kind of messes everything up. It messes you up. You go to your other classes. You're falling asleep in your classes, what I found was it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And I don't know if I've told this story maybe on the podcast before, maybe, maybe to you guys individually before, but, um, you know, I, I actually had a history professor at school, uh, architectural history. He also taught, uh, design and he told us, he's like, don't do it. He's like, get at least four hours a night, you know, just, just stop what you're doing, go home, get four or five hours a night, come back and you, and you, if you can keep that schedule, you can keep going. I mean, you, you can keep working for day after day after day if you're only getting those four or five hours a night. But if you pull one all nighter, you're going to wipe yourself out for a day or two and then you're, then you're useless. Right. So, you know, if you want to stay more productive, uh, on a more consistent schedule, get those hours of sleep you know i'm not talking eight or ten hours of sleep at night you know but but if you can you know manage the four or five um you know you can do that all week long all right so i'm going to tell you a story that you guys are going to cringe about so i went from the army to i don't know if your programs had a summer option program for transfer students yeah. where yeah. basically we had, you know, so it was, for those who don't know what it is, it's just basically you take your full first year of architecture school and roll it up into a summer. So we had these, um, I, I was, I got out of active army and I was in the National Guard, you know, so almost immediately. So I had, you know, to basically, what I was doing was in the National Guard was I was an instructor. So I actually had to work every weekend. So I had to fit studio and National Guard duties in basically constantly, you know, nonstop. So um, for me to be able to get all of my work done that everybody had like the weekends and all of that other stuff when I didn't have the weekends, I worked five days straight, not not one ounce of sleep. And uh, (laughs) I mean, you know. So how do you do that? Yeah, so so what that you're saying well, is that's not a habit habit for success. Well, okay. So here, actually, here's no that no that's not a habit for success. That's actually a habit for you know self destruction. Yeah. Um, how did I do it? Now understand that I went. This is '92. I had just gotten out of the desert, so you know this was Desert Shield, Desert Storm, time, you know time frame of life, and we had to stay awake we had to stay so i learned how to stay awake wow and 
I was, I mean, for, honestly, for about a good decade and a half, I honestly couldn't sleep more than three hours a day. It, it just, it, it was physically impossible. So you made for me. another habit, yeah. So I made, you know, so that created a, a bad habit in itself. Um, I wish I was more productive in the wake, you know, in those waking hours, but, you know, I was just unable to sleep more than three hours a day. And so I was just like, oh, if I'm only sleeping three hours a day, then, you know, I can go without it. And I did on wow. numerous occasions. So, so, you know, so crazy. it was, uh, it was, it was crazy. It, it, yeah. So well, what is it? it's, yeah. I, I was just going to say, what is it about? Cause Evan, when you started this conversation about this war on sleep, but bragging about not sleeping, yeah. you know, why, why is that? Why do people like in school, like, Oh, I pulled off five, five or six all nighters this quarter or something like that. It's like, to me, that says that you're extremely unorganized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, whereas my case, I was, I was literally trying to fit two jobs into one week. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it, it, my was more of a necessity thing. I, I trust me, I would have loved to have slept and I would have loved to have, you know, had developed a culture of being able to manage my time. And I think that's, you know, I think Neil, you're right. I mean, this is a, this is, or sorry, Evan, you actually said it. I mean, it's important to manage. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's, it's extremely important to manage your time. And, you know, these all nighters and stuff basically mean that, you know, you're not really, you know, you're doing the project in injustice. You know, you're doing, you know, the client injustice because what you're doing is you're, you're, I think we talked about this before is that you're not truly tracking what it takes for you to complete that job. Yeah. Right. And so you're just yeah. throwing time and all this other stuff in it. And, well, it, you're, and you're probably not giving your best work, right? Ex- I mean, exactly. And exactly. So how, yeah. Again, you are doing a disservice. Exactly. You know, and, and it's and it's weird, this little kind of rite of passage, you know, that, you know, it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't sleep for uh, five straight up. days. And and look at how cool I am. It's like, no. Yeah, it's totally it's, screwed up. Yeah, we should abolish that. And you know what? What the? And I guess part of the part of the thing that one thing I like about the stuff that you've been writing lately, Mark, is when you're saying you know it, it's it's up to us to design the future of the profession, right? And it's things like this that I want to abolish, right? And, and we have the power to do that. Yeah, I and and I think students can do that. I think students that that. The, the older students in studio should start doing that now so they can sort of change the culture for the younger students. Um, you don't have to ask permission to do this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what about the professors who expect or demand that you spend? You know, I mean, we, had, we have they professors who... They can't demand that. They can demand that you do a certain amount of work, but they don't have to demand... They can't demand when you do it. Yeah. Well, another I, don't, example. I don't think there's too many that are demanding that you that you stay up all night. Well, you know, I I had a professor um, in that summer option program that they used to come to studio to check on your work at midnight to make sure you were there working and you know what you were doing and all that other stuff. I mean, so it was like you were expected to be there, really, all the well, time. I, do you think that happens nowadays with the way that people? Can, I, I hope not. Can report yeah. that stuff. I don't and think get that happens anymore. And, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't well, I, I had a professor one time, and this was the night before our crit. He came into now. He told us this. I mean, this was part of the plan. He said, "I'm going to be here at like eight or nine. I forget." 
and I will shut everything down. Yeah. That is the deadline. I want you all to get a good night's sleep before your crits, and I, I'm not going to let you work all night before the crit. So, And he did. So he showed up at 8, 9, ushered everybody out, locked the doors, and said, okay, we're done. See you guys all tomorrow. Yeah, I know now at Cal Poly, they make students turn in their thesis project at a certain time, and they don't do the presentations until several days later. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So everybody has a deadline of when it gets turned in. But unlike when I was in school, where I was out in the courtyard rendering in my dad's van on my computer <laughs> until 15 minutes before my presentation, oh, wow. up all night, um, that doesn't happen anymore. You have to turn it in, right. and then there's mandatory time off so that you can study for all of your other classes and take those finals uh -huh. before you do your final presentations. I like that. Yeah, I yeah. think it's smart, and I, you know... It, this is one, just one of those things. And, and, and the other thing that scares the crap out of me is, you know, when we were in school and we had, we were building all these physical models out of basswood and stuff and people were using power tools at four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, it wasn't until someone got seriously hurt that they had a curfew on power tools. And they even had to make a, a policy that you can't even bring your own power tools. You have to use the wood shop. Well, the nice thing about that was the wood shop got locked up at 9 yeah. p.m. Yeah. Right. I, I worked in the wood shop throughout college, and we actually closed it up at seven. Yeah, you know, kind of pissed everybody off that they couldn't use it. But you know, the one thing that the guy, you know, the actual, you know, guy who ran it, he, you know, he was adamant about safety, and he was just like, no, you know, you guys have been up all night. You know, I've seen people lose fingers. It's not going to happen. Right. You know, wow. l l let me let me pose this. You know. And maybe it's not necessarily that it's this rite of passage or anything, but if you think about how, you know, the demands in the profession of, you know, you, you, you have a client meeting, they say, okay, you know, I like all of this, but I want to make these changes. How quickly can you do it? So, you know, you come up with some unrealistic thing. Oh, you know, I could have it in two days, you know. Or someone we, else does we, on your behalf. Oh, yeah, that's, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and awesome. they're like, you know, and you, you're, you're demanded to turn it around almost immediately. So you know there's only one way for you to do that. Yeah. Something's going to have to give, and what is that thing? Sleep, yeah. you know. Okay, okay, but, but and Mark, you know, comment on this too, because in my, what I've started to do more often is that yes, I could probably turn around some changes like that in a day or so, but I know that I've got other things happening. Or like today, my daughter got sick at school, so I had to go pick her up, and poof, there went my afternoon. So if I had told somebody you were going to have something tomorrow, uh, I would be doing it tonight. But what I've started to do is give more you know, it seems kind of crazy, but it's like, okay, if I meet with somebody today, like I did, it's like, okay, yeah, I'll have that for you by the end of the week. And even though it may only take me a day or a day right, and a half right. or something, it's like all those other things that come up yeah, exactly. is going to take me more time. So by saying the end of the week, I can reasonably get it done in amongst all the other things that I will end up having to do or my daughter gets sick. Okay, boom, I've lost some time. Do I have to stay up tonight? No, because I told them realistically, end of the week. Well, and they're not upset because they don't know. Well, that's the right? thing. It's, you know, if we're, if we're talking about habits of, for success, 
establishing good habit establishing realistic deadlines and boundaries you know well mark mark in your practice how do you handle something i mean what do you tell people when you know when that situation comes up do you give them you know more time that you really know it will take you just so that you can fit other things in in between exactly i i i um under promise and over deliver so okay I, i always try to um set expectations with a client and let them know uh, what's going to happen and how long things are going to take. And I always give myself a lot more time than I need to. And then that way, if I finish it early, I could submit it early. And then they're like, well, hey, this is great. This is much earlier than I expected. Right. And then, um, and I think it goes back to what Evan said before is that, that we get to design our own business. It's our business. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. our process. Um, and most clients, uh, haven't gone through this process before. So they don't really know what to expect. So when we set unreasonable deadlines for ourselves, it's often self-imposed. Oh, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's us trying to be superheroes, um, trying to make the client love us. And they don't even know the difference. If you got it right. done, if you told them that it was going to take a week and uh, it should take two weeks, they're not going to know the difference. They're just going to know that you missed the deadline. And if what, you told right. them two weeks and it, and it yeah. only took them a week, then you're a superhero. And when mind. you're in charge of your own schedule, that's one thing. But when somebody right. else is out at that meeting and they make that promise, right. and it, one of my favorite things to say is, well, you should have checked with me first. Yeah. Because I don't want to disappoint the client, but at the same time, like I have these certain boundaries and I have these responsibilities and I have all of these other things on my plate right now. So you should have checked with me first and I'll do what I can but I can't promise that I'll get it to you at that time. Well, you know, another habit for success in that, if, if that, you know, what, what you hopefully can get those people that are making those promises to do is to say, let me get back to you later today on that. Yeah. You know, let me go confer with the team and we'll get back to you by the end of the day or by tomorrow with an update on the schedule. And that's, and that's not an unrealistic thing to say to a client. Yeah, well, that's, but, a, that's but, a great habit actually but we seem to be you know and i don't know if it was because of the climate of the recessions you know multiples not just this more recent one where we were always you know thankful for the the you know the project that we just aren't able to say no and from that uh, inability to say no we also you know say well you know whatever you need whatever you want you know and they don't know what they want you right. you guys were were absolutely right they don't know they have no expectations on the process of architecture and so you're right mark we self-impose ourselves on this and and we get ourselves into this situation it's like well you know you you said it. it's like you know you say it's going to take you know two weeks but you or you say that it's going to take one week, but it really is going to take two weeks. Now you're asking for more time. Now you look like a schmuck. Now you're, you're, you know, you're, you've set a bad tone with this client. And even if the project gets done successful, they're going to have all these little things in their mind. Right. Are they going to be a repeat customer? Probably yeah, all not. All these little missed deadlines that didn't really need to be missed deadlines. Exactly. Yeah, and, and yeah. like Evan said, I think it is easy when you're a sole proprietor or, or a relatively small firm where you can uh, make those decisions on your own. But when you do right, have someone right. else making those decisions for you, I wonder if that's something that needs to be addressed with a policy where, hmm. you know, that that those decisions aren't allowed to be made 
without some time involved where yeah i often find that the person also who makes those promises is usually disconnected they're not usually the people who know what it takes right. to do the work right they're people who are, so if are there was a firm policy that, that decisions like that couldn't be made you know without you know a, a few hours or or speaking with X just doing what people. Neil said. Yeah, it's just, well, let me check with my team and exactly. I'll get back to you today. Right. I'll but let if, you know today, but yeah. it's not going to be. But if you formalize right that, then you can create that as, as a habit in your firm. Right. All but right. but uh, going back to what I was saying is that, you know, they, you don't, a lot of the people who are making that, that snap decision that are disconnected, Evan, yeah. it's they don't want to disappoint the client. Right. They feel like any time that you have a hesitation, that's a disappointment. Yeah. No, that's that's a, a calculated. It's it's a calculated effort to give them the best service, right? You know, and you to well, change your perspective. Yeah. That's exactly. a bad habit, Cormac. Right? That's a bad <laughs> habit. Totally. So you so we need to change that. That's a that's a habit not for success. Again. In more in so. more recent times, yes, that is an extremely bad habit. You know, <laughs> right? Because for some reason, in, in in I don't know. I mean, slightly off topic, but everybody seems to be. When everybody's going after the same project and you're undercutting each other and everything else, you know, it's you will promise them the world. Well, and, and you're hurting the profession by doing Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. Which is hurting you. Yeah. Which is hurting you, which is hurting the client, which is hurting that project. You know, I mean, it, it's, it just snowballs into bad service. And then, you know, people are like, ah, oh, you know, I hate working with architects because, you know, they miss these deadlines. They promise this. They don't get, they don't do it. You know, they, you know, come up with crappy designs because they're working all night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it. you know, we need to, you know, I think that also leads into, you know, this like sleep deprivation and everything else. I mean, it, it leads into our other favorite, you know, um, pastime, which is procrastination. Yeah. Uh, terrible habit. Oh. You know, it's just like, well, you know, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then, you know, it's like, oh, crap, I got to do it. And, you know, I've, I've got to be done with this in an hour. <laughs> and then what are you really going to get? What... What kind of quality service are you giving the client, you know, with like limited, you know, attention to the project? You know, I find that most clients, especially small firm clients, are relatively reasonable people. That even if they expect something and they and they almost demand it, if you tell them the reality of the situation and you explain to them the process that you have to go through in order to do that and say that, you know, that you need X number of hours and an X number of days to, to accomplish the task in order to provide them the service that you're, that they expect. Um, most of them then back off on that and they say, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to give them the time they need. And, and then they respect you more as well because you're being honest with them and you're showing them what, the, what you need to do in order to get the job done. And then there's the reality of the bureaucracy that Evan and I sometimes do. Yeah, with. I know. I'm talking in a different world. I've, I've been in your world, so I know oh, I that. Know. I know. Yeah, you know, because you have those clients that, you know, they're dependent on, you know, um, you know, they've got a deadline for submissions for, like, say, state funding or something like that. Right. You know, and so, you know, you've got to meet their deadlines, and then their deadlines never really meet up with yours because, say, for instance, the, you know, the proposal you know you go back and forth with your fees and everything else and it takes a while to sign all of that and stuff you know 
Um, are they expecting you to start work before without a contract? Every time. Yep. Um, yeah. every that's why I'm time. not doing that work anymore. Well, and I think <laughs> something that's, you know, my, my friend, an, a different Mark, he, he recently had the experience where the district was really pushing to get the school that hadn't been designed yet open fall of 2016. Mm-hmm. And he made the point where, you know, we were getting pushed really hard to get the school. We, we had designed the school once. They found they ended up finding arsenic in the site. They ended up having to pick a new site, which means we have to redesign the school. But they didn't want to change that date. Absolutely. And and it's mm. like you have to hit the date, you have to hit the date, you have to hit the date. And it was like, okay, well, if if we just step back and look at this objectively, if we turn in a crappy project because we had to hit this date, right. they will remember us forever. Oh, yeah. But yeah. people will absolutely forgive and forget right. if you're six months late on delivering a project of this scale. And, and that doesn't always work. But that works a lot of the time, and it goes back to what you guys are talking about, where the, the clients will understand, or they are going to have to understand that we cannot work like that because this stuff takes time. It takes what it takes to get it done and do it the right way. And if you want to come back to us five, four, three years from now and say, this is absolute crap work. You're never going to work with us again. We're going to sue you for this, this, and this. Was it worth it? Right. And we're not we're not playing the long game when we're doing things like it's that. It's much better to disappoint your client up front than to t- disappoint them at the end, because yeah. they'll fr- they'll forget <laughs> about it in the beginning. Right. They'll be That's upset right. with you, and they'll be angry, and they'll be you know they'll do do all the threats and. But, you know, if you get through that and you finish the project beautifully and it's done and it works really well, they forget that they just look at the project that you've done and they're happy with it. Yeah, I think I think the the misconception comes from projects at people's houses right you hire a contractor to pour the slab in the you know in the backyard or to build the awning or to to do whatever and and what is it it's like the average amount of time that people live in a house is it's pretty short right it's it's less than 10 years before they move to another house and they're not thinking of these projects at this scale that need to last 50 60 70 80 years uh and, and so when you get 20 years into the future and it no longer meets the needs or the expectations of the people who are using these facilities it, it, it's a huge disappointment to them and what are they going to do at that point you know they got to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars fixing your mistakes because you didn't take the time to do it right the first time and maybe that's not in your control in fake quotation marks um, it, but it's only because you didn't say anything right It's a terrible position to be in. So, again, I think building habits for success, one of those things that I guess we should state as one of the bullet points is speak up. Speak up early. Speak up often. Mm -hmm. And and include people into what it takes to get the job done. Because I think a lot of times this this profession that we're in is treated as a drive-thru. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, I'm glad you said that because we've talked about it before, but the open communication with your client is extraordinarily important and talking to them and keeping them constantly involved and constantly updated about, you know, 
the project status, you know, possible, you know, potential pitfalls, you know, some things that might cause delays, keeping them constantly involved makes them feel a part of the project all the way through. And it gives them equal ownership of the project. But a lot of times we tend to hide things from them because we don't want to look like the, you know, the idiot that, you know, oops, this happened or that happened. And things do happen on projects, you know, like it's finding a very messy, process. you know, like finding arsenic in the soil. You know, right. sometimes that happens and sometimes the project has to move and change. But, you know, when you, you know, when you're when you feel like you have to hide something from your client, you know, because you just don't want to look like the idiot. You, you pick know, up the phone. Exactly. Absolutely. That's what you need to do. You know, so uh, another habit of success bullet point is constant communication with your clients. Yeah. I have one. Uh, setting expectations with your clients. Because if you set the expectation that there's going to be that big bomb somewhere in the middle of the project, because it happens on every project, then when it happens, you can go back and say, hey, remember when we had that big conversation about you're going to, you're going to have a big crisis in the middle of your project? Well, here it is, and this is what we're going to do about yeah. it. And, I mean, and then it's not such a crisis. Absolutely. I mean, we've done this. We've all done this long enough to know that projects don't go smoothly. <laughs> I mean, something right. happens somewhere. I mean, there are a lot of things that are, you know, out of our control, you know. Well, I didn't know, you know, normally it takes six weeks to go through permitting. I didn't realize it was going to go, you know, three weeks, you know, three months or something like that. You know, I mean, there's those little things. So you're right. Letting them know up front, you know, there are these potentials of things. And I want you to understand that, you know, I'm here to make this process go as smoothly as possible. But when we do run into those roadblocks, I'm here for you to help guide it through. Right. And we've been through this before, so it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And if you come to those kind of meetings with multiple ideas for solutions, exactly, that always goes over really well, rather than the, the massive freakout. The the very first book that I was ever given, you know, pre architecture school at all, when somebody found out that I you know, wanted to go to architecture school. Somebody gave me a book. It was a project management book for architects, but it was called problem solving. And I, from that point on, I always looked at us as problem solvers, you know, not, you know, problem as a bad problem, but you know, just that's what we're here for. We're here to find the solutions to get things done quick, easy, or not easy, but you know, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. You know, and, that's what we need to, you know, deliver to the client is, you know, the, our problem solving expertise. All right. I have another one. I, one of the things that we really struggle with, and we hit on this a little bit earlier is saying no. <laughs> and, and I really feel like this is a habit that people have a really hard time. It's, it, it kind of falls in hand in hand with something that you've been preaching about Mark on your podcast, which is talking about money. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like this taboo, this word that cannot be uttered from our mouths. And this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, where if, if somebody asks for something, whether it's in the office or if it's a client, um, you, first of all, you don't have to say yes right away and you don't have to say no right away. But there are a lot of things that are distractions that are built into what we're doing that we could easily say no to that 
make it makes no difference in the long run like it would have been something we could have that could have never even been brought up and we won't miss it um and and it's not going to hurt our business at all uh there's a lot of things that we get asked to do that we like you said cormick those are the the people making a lot of those decisions only want to say yes to the client and one this is one of the things that i i learned when i worked at apple was learn how to say no by saying yes and there's a lot of ways that you can say yes to a client that is completely different so that they don't have to hear the word no um but you're still not going to promise to do something that you shouldn't or couldn't do let me ask a for instance on that that no or that mindset say you've worked with a client this is a a, a for instance not a, an example that i've lived through by any means ask asking for a friend yeah, yeah, asking for yeah. a friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, we, we've had this situation, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us have had this situation in our careers, where you've worked with a client before, and you know they're good clients, in, in fact, great clients, and, you know, any, any client's a great client, but the return clients are sometimes greater. Um, God, that sounded stupid, but anyway. Um, but, well, that's another core mechanism. Yeah, but... Okay, so you give them a proposal. They've got a deadline that you're, you need to meet. And you go back and forth, back and forth with it. And you don't, and they're expecting you to, you know, start working, even though it's going to take, you know, two to possibly three months to negotiate your contract and stuff. Do you say, no money, no work? Or do you say, well, you're good for it. I'm going to convince, you know, not only my staff, but also my consultants to go ahead and start working on the promise that we will eventually get paid. Because we do that to ourselves a lot as a profession, because we can't say no. So I just want to get your take on that, because it's something that we do to ourselves all the time. Well, for me, it's it's, where... Again, we're in different markets, but I, I say no all the time uh, to situations like that. We won't work without without a contract and without getting an initial payment. Uh, we won't do pre-designed stuff. We won't do, you know, uh, you know, show me a design and then I'll hire you. We won't do any of that. Uh, we're lucky to be in a very thriving market, though, just outside of New York City. So I know that other firms don't really have that luxury, but uh, we've built. We've worked hard to have, to build a reputation and to build a strong brand, and so we have a lot of work coming in. And so I, I, you know, I can say no to clients like that. Um, well, we, well, you know, that's well, let me, Cormac. Let me give you an example okay. of, of, of not necessarily saying no, but but going off of what Mark just said. Um, I've been on, and I've 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 started to change this with my own small practice, which, you know, I, I'll get a call, I'll go meet somebody, and they'll start talking to me about what they want to do and me just kind of being the gregarious architect just yeah yeah i think you can you you know you could probably do this and you can move this over here and you, i talk through the whole damn design and then i never get around to i'm going to send you a proposal um and then i never hear from them again because okay they got their answers and i've never even had to say no because i just gave them all the answers and i didn't even get the job you know, so recently yeah. I've been I've been going when I go to people, I listen and I 
yeah, you could probably do that. You know, um, let me get you a proposal and I can start some design work for you. But but no, I, I, I'm like Mark, you know, it's a different sort of market than I know you guys are in. But I, I, I'm not going to do work for, uh, you know, without some some sort of uh, payment. Well, we I do, I, I do share a lot of information in my interviews, though. What you just described, I, I, do, uh-huh. I do that a lot. Well, I mean, because that, okay. that sort of, you know, pre-qualifies you as an architect to it, show them that you know what you're doing. Exactly. I mean, well, that's fair the, enough. It's the catch-22 of you are trying to tell them, you know, why you're qualified to have this job. You're, you're selling yourself. Right. And then, you know, unfortunately, Neil, if they're walking away from you because they got the, the question, you know, their question answered... You probably right. didn't really want to work with them anyway, right? Well, you know? th- that may be true, but 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 trying to take a different tact and approach to it—not necessarily giving them the design up front, but more of agreeing or saying, "Yeah, you could probably do this or this, and I can design that for you." You know, it's more kind of uh, changing the conversation a little bit and and following up with, you know, "Do you want fries with that?" Right? It's like, bam, here's your proposal with that. And then you can hire me to do some design work for you. Um, so it's more kind of twisting it around and changing that conversation so that it can be, you can have a better habit for success of getting that proposal. I've also changed my, um, you know, actually with a thank you nod to Mark, uh, modifying how I do my contracts uh, so that they're easier for me to generate much faster. So that I can actually finish that conversation with a, I'll send you a proposal right. and spend, you know, no more time than the notes I took while we were having our conversation. That becomes the scope of the project, uh, essentially. I bonify that. I put a dollar number to some of those phases and bam, the contract goes out. So I've maybe spent, you know, 45 minutes to an hour meeting with them, a half an hour getting a proposal out and I'm done. And then there's a proposal in their hands. It has a date on it that says this proposal is good for X number of weeks, two or three weeks. And that gives me a, a chance to reasonably follow up with them, to remind them, say if it's three weeks out, a week or two in, hey, by the way, that contract's still good uh, for another week. Or you want, you know, do you want to move forward with it? And that way it doesn't seem like I'm bugging them. And you know, so to try and do things a little bit differently so that it can be a better habit for more successful, you know, uh, obtaining of some projects. I, back to your question, Cormac. Yeah. I, I feel like in our line of work, we're constantly starting work without a contract. Mm-hmm. The contract negotiations take forever. The clients always reject the architect's cl- contract and they want to use their own. Um, there's legal on both sides, crossing things out, changing things. And uh, it, it's it's pretty crazy how much we will invest into these projects before getting paid a penny. Oh yeah, because you know at the end of the day when you're, you know, when we're talking more like schoolwork and stuff. But I mean, if you were, they have to move in. Say you know it's a two year process or whatever for you know design construction or whatever, possibly three or four. They have a specific move in day. They can't push that. They can't change that. So everything hinges on basically hitting the ground running, whether you have a contract or not. And, you know, we do that often. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, you know, we, we know these clients. We, 
you know, we do work with them a lot and, and they're great clients and, um, you know, we don't really mistrust them or anything like that. You know, it's just, but I mean, you know, just thinking, you know, broad, broadly, not necessarily, you know, being too specific, but, you know, as a profession as a whole, I mean, a lot of times we do that. I do remember, Mark, that when I was, you know, solo on my own for a while, we did that. You know, we we got money up front, you know, we, you know, had the contract signed before we began work. I mean, you know, sometimes if we were really comfortable with the client, you know, it, we might do a little bit of like, you know, conceptual work for them because they're going out to kind of like do fundraising for some development or something like that. You know, right. because because we knew that, you know, in the end, you know, we were getting something out of it as well. You know, we would be getting the job, you know, you know, potentially even more projects because we're kind of putting our name, you know, um, with it and, and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, we we I don't know. It's just one of those those things that I always ponder about because like why do we do that to ourselves why do we stick our necks out there and and, and there was many a times you know because unfortunately you know i was i started me and my buddy from college we started our business right at the time when we were you know maybe a year and a half two years before the residential market started to feel this last recession so we you know we were we were sticking our necks out a little bit more than we wanted to because we were just started you know we wanted to get out there we wanted everybody to know us so you know we were doing work and we were giving work away and you know it 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 basically i i, I learned my lesson from basically you know five years of of solo practice then basically getting slapped back to earth because we had all these contracts that you know either people owed us money that you know we never signed a contract with them you know and they just basically said all right i'm done and walked away you know so 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 you know i'm kind of gun shy every time i hear somebody tell me a story about you know going in and doing you know months worth of work without a signed contract well cormac i think you i think you you set the stage there probably perfectly i think in my example and in, in Mark's example, we're dealing with a completely different scope of project right. and a different cl- and a different sort of client than you are. Um, and so, you know, Mark and I have described some some ways to be successful with that, uh, or that we found to be successful with that. I think in your case, you described several habits for success in going that route with a bigger, I mean, you said, you know, these are great clients. You've worked with them before, you know, you know, you know them, um, you've been paid by projects before, um, you know, and so all of those things, when you're dealing with these big projects, those are probably the different, uh, things that you can do. So, you know, you'll be successful, even though you've started work early. I think the danger is, is when you've got, um, all of those things are not true. You know, these are new clients. You don't know them. Um, and you're putting work out there um, for the hope of being paid. And that's probably a bad habit. Yeah. That's, that's something you don't want to Yeah, that you don't want to do that. But in your case, you're talking about existing clients, uh, you know, and, and, and also, too, you're talking, you know, big scope projects where, you know, Mark and I are probably talking projects that are, you know, in the four and five digit range. You're talking about projects in the six digit range, right? <laughs> so a six and seven digit range. Six so and seven, these, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're different scale of projects. So you can afford 
maybe not, I mean, it's, it's probably a burden on the company, certainly, but you know, when they're talking six and seven digit figure fees for these things, you know, you can afford to probably spend a little bit of time up front, um, you know, because the reward is, is on the back, you know, is, is coming yeah. and, and you know, it's going to happen. And so you can probably do that. So there's less risk. I guess that's what we're getting at is the projects that Mark and I are talking about, you know, we're, they're, they're not as risky by doing that. And I think what you're describing when you were on your own is you were being very risky yeah. and that's just a yeah. bad habit. That's a well, bad, that's even if you're brand new firm, you don't want to set your client's expectation that a, your time is not important and B, that you're not worth the service that they're paying for. And I think by putting your work out there for free or giving it away uh, in the initial meeting where you, you know, completely describe the design out to them is, is, you know, bad habits. Yeah. You know, that you're setting for yourself. Well, you know, I, I can say in hindsight that, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, naive. You know, I was completely naive in, in the way that I approached business and, and, you know, kind of perceived, you know, clients as, you know, just some, you know, they were, I just misjudged a lot of things, you know, and just, you didn't, you didn't have entrepreneur architect on I, your side. I did not, I right. did not, you know, and, and honestly, Mark, you know, to honestly, to sing a little bit of your praises, I mean, you know, the website and the podcast are great because, you know, there are a lot of people who feel like that they can kind of go it alone. Oh, you know, I've got my license or, you know, I've done this long enough, you know, I'm ready to hit the road and, uh, you know, start my own thing. But the one thing that we have a lot of trouble with, especially since, you know, school doesn't prepare us for that, is to run our own business. Right. I mean, we, we've, you know, my, my old, you know, business partner and I talked about it. I mean, for the most creative of professions, we are the least creative when it comes to business. And, you know, and we... You know, so, I mean, we kind of, in a way, we set the stage for our own demise because we just weren't ready or we didn't prepare ourselves. And, you know, websites like yours, you know, it, it's it's a fantastic tool. And I definitely suggest everybody who might even remotely be thinking of going it on their own, you know, hit Mark's website, you know, reach out to him. It'll just, you know, listen to all of his podcasts, you know, and you'll learn some valuable, valuable tools. Thank you. Thank you, Cormac. I appreciate so that. Mark, so, so, Mark, go ahead and say the URL. Since yes, you say the URL. It's entrearchitect.com. Thank you. <laughs> since you said you were screaming at Evan, you never say the URL. I'm give. I'm, I'm softball. There it that. is. Thank you very Put much. Put it right up. I there. wanted to, but I didn't want to overstep my bounds. No, 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 no. Oh no, no. There's you no. Know, well, you're a guest here, but you know, act like us. Just and, blurt out whatever you want. And don't worry, it's going to be in the show notes as well. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you know we, we talked about three different, three or four different things that are would be good habits for success. I guess the important part is to make those things habits. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to be successful in architecture, coming from people who, who do this all the time, these are things that will make, will help you get successful in this business. Um, I, I can't emphasize enough um, getting enough sleep. It, it makes you appear and actually be smarter when it comes to your business. 
um, saying no to people. You have to practice that. It doesn't come out naturally to talk, to say no, but you have to say it when when it's right. And when it comes to working with contracts and getting paid for your work, you've you've got to get that stuff going early. You can't be shy about any of these things. You can't be shy about your boundaries. You can't be shy about your contracts. You can't be shy about doing things that aren't what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so I can't emphasize enough that these are all, you know, there's only a few, but I have one more habits. Yeah. I have one more for you. Raise your fees. That's Uh, right. You were talking about that recently. Charge more. Because you're worth more. You're worth more. We're all undercharging. And, uh, I think if we all start charging more then then, uh, our profession will be more valued. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't because we're not, usually in the position of paying for these kind of services. Um, but every time we have a legal issue or something, we pay for them. And, yeah. and, and nobody questions when that comes up. Uh, I think you're right. It, it's the kind of thing where you're providing such a huge value to your clients. Um, and if you're not confident in the value that you're providing to them, then you're not going to charge enough. So you, we need to be a lot more confident about the value that we're yeah. providing to clients. That, That's a very important mean, part, yeah. point yeah. is that you, if you're going to ch- charge more and you're going to raise your fees, make sure your value is commensurate with that. And provide something exceptional. Exactly. You know, and then, sure well, let, me, let me give you a quick example. Um, working on this kitchen and, and living area remodel of this house and it's it's a little complicated, but so the premise here is that these people have been thinking about doing this for several years. And to them, they haven't been able to figure out how to make this work. And so, you know, we, we're doing the project. I step in no more than like three weeks ago and provide them a solution. I'm in a meeting with them today. And the wife is just looking at this and the, and the husband too. And she just goes, I love this. I love what you've done. This is incredible. It's like we've been trying to figure out how to make this better for years. And, you know, you stepped in and in like two or three weeks, we're done. We're, we're approved. Get started on the CDs. We want to do this. And so when Mark's saying raise your fees, you know, the value that, that, that me as an architect, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself here on the back, but just what I'm trying to say is that art, the value that architects are providing to their clients in, and in this example, you know, it's like, they're not, they're happy as hell to write me this check for the design phase because I just solved a problem that they could not figure out for the last several years. They've, they value what you did more than they value that money. That's right. Absolutely. That is absolutely key to what we're doing for anybody who wants to make money in anything. Right. Yeah. Right. But that's the truth. I mean, that's what it is. And and so, like Mark said, you know, if you bring that value, they're happy to pay the fee. Absolutely. But in in where we've gone wrong is because I'm always the one to bring up where we go we we go wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uncle Uncle Cormac's gonna you know poo poo on the day. No, here. it's just what we end up doing is. You know, we have we'll have those clients. Wait a minute, that should be Grandpa Cormick, right? Oh no, man, that's you. No, <laughs> you're getting closer. That's Uncle Grandpa right. to you. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, go ahead. Although that's trademarked by uh, the uh, you know, comedy or the Cartoon Network, so I can't I can't say that. It's a TV show. Evan, I'll be there. Evan. Yeah. A- anyway, so so this, one of the issues that we've we have is that you know when we're negotiating our fees and stuff, you know there there'll be those clients that'll say, well, you know that's that's too expensive. You know, uh, you know why why would I pay that much money when I can go to this guy and you know. Um, you know, Neil's given a fee proposal for X amount of dollars. And he's like, well, you know, I, I talked with Evan and, and Evan said that he'll do it for, you know, this percentage less, you know, I mean, we're, we're doing that to ourselves where we're basically each other because we feel this, you know, because we've had such a hard time in the past few, you know, years of, you know, even getting jobs where we are undercutting ourselves and you know we're just doing in a, in a way i see irreparable damage to our profession when we're out there cutting each other's throats mm-hmm. you know and so you know you're right mark i mean we need to charge more but then we get worried that well if i charge more they're going to say no and some other guy's going to come and steal the project from me That's right, and that's where you're providing. You have to provide. You have to come to grips with the fact that you have to provide an exceptional thing. Right. And they're not going to get that from somebody else. And if they are, then those people are going to lose their shirts. A strong, healthy business doesn't compete on fee. That's right. Well, (laughs) you know, well, okay, so another good example of that um, is that, you know, coming off what Mark just said, you know, you're not competing on fee. One of the interesting things is that, you know, you you throw out a proposal and you get somebody back and they say, okay, I want to, you know, cut a few hundred dollars here, a few hundred dollars there. Again, I'm talking small scale project here uh, for residential, but um, I had a friend of mine, I talked to him about it recently and he said that, no, he doesn't, he doesn't begin that negotiation. He just says, no, this is the value that I'm bringing to the project, and this is what I charge for that value. Yeah, that's how we and do it, too. Okay. And the, he said one of the reasons he doesn't start to do – he doesn't begin that negotiation is that um, if they get a certain amount cut off their fee, then if it's a successful project, then they refer you to somebody else yeah, or right. to another person. They're, what's the first thing they're going to tell that person? Oh, well, you know what? Don't take that first price he gives you. He'll, he'll cut you a deal if you negotiate a little bit, right? Yeah. And so you've set the precedent. That's a bad habit for a successful firm by continuing to negotiate on your fee. Then they're going to tell the next person. They're going to tell the next person. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're getting less and less. And you're, you're in this constant battle of, uh, of this negotiation. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about is you're talking about the race to the bottom. Right? right, exactly. Yeah, and the sad thing about the race at the bottom is that somebody's always going to win. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't help our our profession either. I mean, really, if if people are going to compete on price, yes, there's always somebody looking for the lowest price, right? But what do they get for the lowest price? It's a painful process. Well, Mark, you recently had uh, on your podcast, and I know you've written about this too, is we need to talk about this stuff. We need to talk about fees amongst yeah. ourselves. That's right. And so at the beginning of this year of, you know, I mean, you, you inspired me to do this. 
I had like three meetings in a row with colleagues of mine that we've all used to work together. We're all out on our own now. Uh, I was very upfront with them and talking about fees and you talking about them, how. Right? I don't know if I shocked them so much, but they certainly we were able to get past that and talk about it. Yeah, I, I love mean, talking these are, about fees because it always shakes things up. Why is that such a taboo yeah. with everybody? You know, why I don't why know. Are architects afraid to talk about money. Well, it, it part of that case, at least for us, is we all live in the same vicinity. And we do kind of compete against each other in that sense. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? I am tired of being not successful. So, damn it, I'm going to find out what my friends are doing that are being successful. And I am just going to ask the questions. And if you all and, work together and help each other become successful, then you all, then you all become successful. I, that's, you know, uh, fortunately, Mark, that is exactly what happened. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled and I want to thank you for, you know, kind of inspiring me to do that because it's proven to be successful and it's so far been a good start. You're to the welcome. Year for that's me. the entire mission behind Entrepreneur Architect is to, is to share what I know and encourage others to do the same. I feel like something that a lot of us deal with kind of on the same level as what you're talking about there, Neil and Cormac mm-hmm. is, is, um, if you see someone else's business that you like, you should absolutely copy it. We need to get over the fact that there are things that we feel like we tell ourselves, oh, I can't, I can't copy that. Because the fact of the matter is, and I know that, that Mark believes this too, because he tells everybody exactly what he's doing, um, is that you are going to put your own spin on everything. It's just natural. And you are not going to copy them exactly. But if you start to look at the way um, businesses that are, su- are successful are, are operating, the way that they're handling projects and clients, if you imitate that, if you copy that, and you're going to put your own spin on that, you're going to start having more successful projects, and you're going to have a more successful business, and we shouldn't be afraid to do that. I mean, really, if we want to raise our game, that's definitely something we should be doing. Um, and you should be applying other industries' business models to architecture. There is not a prescribed way to do this. See, you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, with what you know, people like Mark are doing is if you're enriching the profession, the architecture. I mean, just the actual like what we got into this to you know to do is to create buildings. They actually become better too. Because right. everything about, you know, your your business translates into the work that you do. And, you know, you're going to strive to do better work to get that better fee to, you know, to deserve that, you know, the, the better value, you know, providing the better value and all that other stuff. And, yeah. and, it's, which project and, it's, are, and it's a win-win. <laughs> which project's going to turn out better? The one where you're excited to work on it because you're making a decent fee and the client's all involved or the one where you're every minute that you're toiling away at your desk because you're getting a crappy fee and you're bad-mouthing the client mm-hmm. the whole time and the project just sucks and sucks. Which one's going to turn out better? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, well, yeah. I can tell you which one you're not going to get a referral from. Oh, yeah. exactly. Right? Yeah. No. I mean, the adage of you get what you pay for is very, very true when it comes to architecture. I agree. Well, I think that's a wrap, guys. Sounds good. Well, that was All right. fun. 
We should do that again sometime. Absolutely. We will. We will. So if you have questions or comments, visit the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. We have links to our Twitter accounts and our Facebook page where you can join in on this conversation um, and others. And please, if you've got uh, comments about this or you have your architectural horror experience of the week, call the Arcaspeak Podcast helpline at 415 <laughs> oh, wait a minute 415 484 8496 or and, how yeah. about a success or a success not just your horror story <laughs> well the horror stories are more fun but you know give us a success story absolutely yeah. and and also don't forget to leave a review on iTunes uh, we especially like those too and thanks for mark and thanks for Mark. Absolutely. Yes, thanks Thank for you, joining Mark. us. Thank and, you. Thank hey, you, Mark, guys. Where's, where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, you can find me anywhere at Entree Architect. You go to Twitter, Entree Architect, Facebook, I'm there, uh, or EntreeArchitect.com. And, and before I go, I, I want to thank you guys for everything you do. Um, I think you guys are doing a tremendous service to the profession in, in these conversations, sort of doing very similar things that I'm doing is kind of opening up uh, the communication and talking about the things that people don't talk about. And I think uh, you guys do a fabulous job at it. And we and you keep us all entertained while we're doing it. So thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. A group hug here, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Well, stay, everyone, stay subscribed, and, and thanks for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.
Gave mama, gave mama, gave mama, gave mama the same thing. 